Good morning, ladies. Welcome back to Bible study. It's such a joy to hear the buzz in the room. I know you're excited to dive into our lesson this morning. And beside me, I have someone I consider a dear, sweet friend. And so it's very uh, special that Julia is here this morning to be able to share with us. Uh, Julia Dembeck uh, serves on our Bible study committee. She also uh, serves on our women's ministry leadership team, and those two teams make a lot of decisions about what Bible study is going to look like coming up in the months ahead. So I'll just give you a sneak peek. We have the book of James in the fall, and so be excited about that. Uh, A little bit about Julia. Julia uh, has been married to Ryan for 13 years, and you might remember Ryan because he kicked off our summer study. Do you remember that? If you missed that week, make sure you go back and listen to it. All right, Ryan serves as an elder here at the North Church, and uh, they have three adorable little boys, and Julia delved into the world of homeschooling this year, and So that is really an exciting thing as well. So Julia loves studying the Bible and pointing people to Jesus, and it really truly is an honor to call her a friend. And I'm so excited that she can speak to us this morning on the subject of biblical friendship. So I would like to pray as we start. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this dear friend. And Lord, I pray that you would pour out your grace on her that you would give her clarity and wisdom and your words for us so that we would leave here this morning understanding more of your heart for us, Mm -hmm. how you desire us to be one anothering, Mm -hmm. and how we can do that with our relationship with you. You are our true friend, Mm -hmm. and we want to be a friend like you. Mm -hmm. And so, Lord, would you do that work in our hearts this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. I am thankful for the opportunity to be able to come together and talk about friendship. When I was younger, being friends with somebody seemed rather easy. I remember being at the park and finding out the other girl there was eight years old and liked horses, and so I asked, do you want to be friends? And then, boom, we became friends. And I remember exchanging BFF necklaces, best friends forever, and thinking I am absolutely going to be friends with her forever. And some of those childhood friends I am actually still really good friends with. And when we're together, we can just pick up like no time has passed. But then there's other friends that I envisioned still being friends with, and we're not. There's been hurt and disappointment, and for some of the friends, just a parting of ways. And so as the years passed, I've realized friendship is harder and more complex than those early days at the park. So before I knew we were studying Proverbs, and specifically friendship, This last year, I've been reading a variety of books and resources and commentaries and trying to understand what does God have to say about friendship? How does he model it? And what does that look like for us? So what I'm sharing today is largely from those resources, as well as wisdom from many others that have spoken into this teaching, for which I am very grateful. There's a lot we're going to cover today, and yet there's even more I'm not able to cover. But I'm so thankful you are here. I've been praying for you and what God has for us today, and I'd love to pray over our time now. God, thank you for your faithfulness and your help in bringing us together this morning. I thank you for my sisters and the gift it is to study and discuss your word and what you are doing in our lives. I know there's many different experiences 
and the ways that we have been hurt or encouraged and spurred on by friends, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would meet us and where we are at, that you would open our eyes to see what you have for us in your scripture, for friendship with you and with others. Speak in and through me. May you be glorified, God, and my sisters encouraged and edified. We look to you and trust in you, Jesus. Amen. So as Pam mentioned, if you were here the first week, we talked about how Proverbs teaches us how God has wired the world and gives us a framework for skillfully and successfully living as a people of God. Its foundational principle is stated in chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And throughout the lessons, we've seen how we can grow in fearing the Lord through our desires and emotions, through money, and through our words. Proverbs also stresses the vital significance of our with our relationships with one another if we are to live wisely. In his book, Friendship, Hugh Black writes, the book of Proverbs might almost be called a treatise on friendship. There is no book, even in classical literature, which so exalts the idea of friendship and is so anxious to have it carefully kept and valued. And Tim Keller synthesizes the wisdom of Proverbs on friendship like this. You will not lead a wise life unless you are great at choosing, forging, and keeping terrific friendships. That's because we're constantly faced with the choice between two paths, wisdom and folly. We need good friends that will help us seek wisdom, discern the right path to take, and spur us on to keep walking down it. And I think we would all agree with that. And we would say, yes, I value friendships. I know I need friends. And yet for many of us, we don't often talk about the nature of friendships. Maybe you find yourself today really longing for a close friend and not having one. Or maybe you're in a season of limitations and, the f- and fullness, so friendships are just kind of on the back burner. Or perhaps you've been so hurt that you feel like it's just not worth it to pursue a friendship again. Wherever you find yourself today with friendships, my aim for us is to see how we are made for friendships with others and to see how God models and fulfills being our truest friend and then how he enables us to walk in the path of wisdom in our friendships. We'll do this as we consider how Solomon shows us the marks of a good friend, restoring friendship when it goes wrong, and how Jesus is our truest friend. This topic matters because as Charles Spurgeon once preached, he who'd be happy here must have friends, and he who'd be happy hereafter must, above all things, find a friend in the world to come, in the person of God. Before we dive into the marks of a good friend, it's important to see how the people we consider to be our friends will influence us whether we pursue the path of wisdom or folly. As C.S. Lewis says, friendship can be either a school of virtue or a school of vice. It will either make good men better or bad men worse. Proverbs 13.20 expresses this truth. He who walks with the wise will become wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. And we see the clear warning in Proverbs 14, 7, to leave the presence of a fool, for there you do not meet the words of knowledge, and how it is essential to choose your friends carefully, because the way of the wicked will lead you astray. Do you remember growing up, or perhaps you have told this to your kids, when they want to go out, you ask, where are you going? When will you be back? But most importantly, who are you going with? Because who you are with matters. And throughout Proverbs, Solomon gives us characteristics of someone walking in the path of folly. We've covered many of these verses in the previous weeks, and I covered them in the homework, so I'm not going to read the verses in depth, but I want to highlight the four categories of someone walking in the path of folly. We see first, those whose motives are to destroy or deceive. And this has two parts to it. First, as Sharice taught us, someone who gossips and slanders 
and someone lacking honesty is someone walking in the way of folly. And as Christian shared, it's important to see the motives of the heart in relating to money, and someone who is only seeking what they can gain from you should not be a close friend. The second area, those controlled by their emotions or desires, not heeding the way of wisdom, like Lindsay talked about a few weeks ago. And third, those who stir up trouble against their government or leaders without cause. And fourth, anyone who is living in unrepentant, blatant sin should not be a close companion. It's clear that individuals that are living their lives marked by these characteristics are not to be those that we invite in to our inner circle and being a close companion. Because if you do, they can influence your decisions and behaviors and desires, which could lead you down the path of folly and perhaps even tempt you from treasuring Christ. But while these people should not be our close companions, we are still called to befriend them and be friendly. And it may be that a believing sister is struggling in one of these areas, and God would maybe use us to speak gospel truths and encourage that sister to walk back in the path of wisdom. And if it's an unbeliever walking in the path of folly, we are called to befriend them with the intent of sharing the gospel. Jesus models this for us. We can see the different circles of friendships he displayed. He ministered to many, but only invited a few to be close, ongoing, invested friends in a different way. And that's the focus for us this morning, cultivating those deep friendships that mature us in Christ. And we see Proverbs offers us wisdom about those key ingredients needed to build and sustain high-quality friendships. If you're following along on your handout, you'll see constancy, counsel, candor, and carefulness. C.S. Lewis writes in his book, The Four Loves, the typical expression of opening friendship would be something like this. What? You too? I thought I was the only one. Look around this room right now. We're all in different stages and seasons, which is a sweet gift. And yet we have different interests and hobbies, and yet we have a commonality. Our commonality is in Christ. And so we can have differences of interests or be in different seasons. And yet, because we are united in Christ, there can be a friendship. And that is a sweet gift where we can discover what it is that you like and I like. And yet we can be united around Christ and being able to spur one another on. So we see this first mark of a friend is constancy. This idea that through shared time together, friendship develops into mutual togetherness and persists through life's various seasons, whether high or low. When Solomon was writing Proverbs, the value of family was extremely high, much higher than it is today. And yet he may known the value of finding and keeping close friends. In Proverbs 18.24, it says, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. The word sticks comes from a Hebrew word that's often translated in the Old Testament as cleave. It means commitment out of a passionate love to do good and desire good for a friend and to be a friend that's committed and loves at all times, as we see in 17.17. Now, Solomon isn't saying that you need to spend all your time together and do everything together, but pointing out that a true friend is there for you in seasons of ease and seasons of challenge. And it's in the times when life is harder and you need more, it can be tempting as a friend to pull back. But I encourage you, continue to lean in and let them in. And when a friend is in a season of sorrow or struggle, it may be tempting to not show up because it does require more energy and effort and time. But I encourage you, continue to be that constant, faithful friend. And as we fill our lives, it becomes harder to prioritize friendships. And that applies to singles, couples, families, and empty nesters. Prioritizing the time to build and maintain friendships, though, is wise living. Here are a few questions you can ask yourself as you consider friendships in your life. How can you show up for friends that are in a challenging season? How can you be faithful in prayer for them? 
Or how can we be faithful in expressions of love and care and providing needed support and help? Maybe it's bringing a meal, helping with kids, or helping provide respite for aging parents, just checking in with texts or calls. And how can you grow and share time and experience together? Some of you may be the ones that consistently initiate, and it's hard to be the one to continue to initiate, but I encourage you, continue to be faithful. That consistent presence does make a difference. It's also important to acknowledge that there are different degrees of investing, and what it practically looks like might need a shift based on changes of seasons or circumstances. These last couple years, I had more health challenges, and so in my friendships, it looked different. I was used to regularly connecting with certain friends and having them over, but because of limitations, I had to humbly say, I'm not in a season of being able to have you over regularly, and that's hard, but I still want to be a faithful friend to engage with you. And so how can I still text you and pray for you and maybe just send verses of encouragement? And so there's times where that constancy and that investment looks different, and it's using just prayerful wisdom of, Lord, what does it look like in this season that I'm in to be a constant faithful friend? The next area is counsel and candor. We see throughout Proverbs the whole of the Bible that we are made for friendship, but not merely just to enjoy the fellowship of one another, but for a mutual of spurring and sharpening one another to become more like Jesus. Now, this requires intentionality and vulnerability to let friends in. I had a conversation a few weeks ago with two women from church, and we were talking about how at times it can be challenging to enter into this level of friendship. We like hanging out together and sharing life and having fun and even giving high-level updates, but to really let others into what's going on can be hard and uncomfortable. But we see in order to build and sustain quality friendships and walk in the path of wisdom, we do need to let others in so we can really know one another and be known. And this will require seeking and giving counsel and candor. In Proverbs 27.9, it says, Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Solomon uses this word to paint a picture that friendship is sweet when a friend gives heartfelt advice into a life situation or decision. And some commentators suggest this is set in contrast to only trusting in your own opinions. And in the ancient Near East, oil was often used as a means of bringing healing. This adds a layer to the way a friend provides counsel. It is helpful, healing, and aligns with wisdom. In friendship, there's this mutual seeking of advice from each other in order to continue to walk in the path of wisdom. But as friends, we can't just merely seek advice from each other. There needs to be another side of the equation, a sharpening, helping each other grow in Christ-likeness. In the homework, it's called transparency. But as I continue to read and meditate on friendship in Proverbs, candor, while also starting with a C, brings a different weight and depth of understanding this aspect of wise friendship. We see in 2717, it says, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. So how this sharpening shows up in our friendships is by candidly sharing our struggles, sins, and tendencies in order to be known and corrected by our friends. These friends will also spur us on to walk in the path of wisdom. We need to let our friends in and invite their loving correction. But this can be challenging, especially when the sharpening is hard and uncomfortable. A few weeks ago, I was talking with a friend about a situation, and I was describing to her how something happened with interactions with others, and I just kept like fretting about it and going over and over it, and, and I was like, I just don't know what to do. She's like, I, I'm going to let you know, it sounds like you are fearing man a lot more than fearing God, and you care a lot more about what they are thinking than what about what God thinks. And that was hard and uncomfortable initially, but I was like, thank you. I need to hear that. I want to let you into this hard situation I'm wrestling through instead of continuing to spin and become anxious and anxious about it. And in doing so, 
it created this sense of, all right, I'm being sharpened and helping see rightly the situation and ultimately putting my eyes back on the Lord and how to walk in a path of wisdom of seeing, okay, what can I do? What is my part? But ultimately, how do I continue to see how God is at work and knowing that sharpening, that end result is better because I want to become more like Jesus and I want to enter into the situation with wisdom. And often it's hard though to get to that point to vulnerably share, this is really what I'm struggling with. This is what I'm dealing with. Um, in a book that Paul Tripp has, what he shared, I feel like is a lot of what we can also relate with. He shared, we can know a lot about one another, but unaware of the struggles hidden behind well-maintained boundaries. He goes on to say, we are often reluctant to be more self-revealing with others because of the perception that they have their lives completely under control. And if they actually knew what was going on within me, they would be horrified. But the Bible is clear. We are all, by nature, deeply flawed individuals living in a broken world. So we will all, in our different ways, be facing battles against difficult circumstances and besetting sins. The friend who gives counsel with candor talks about these battles against difficult circumstances and besetting sins and presses into those areas. That is the kind of friend that's hard to let in, but that we desperately need in order to mature in Christ. We also learn from Solomon that to grow in a deepening of friendship and ultimately in Christ-likeness, there needs to be an openness in calling out the sin tendencies and foolishness of our friends. We see this in Proverbs 27, 5 through 6. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Perfuses are the kisses of an enemy. You may say, because I care about this person, I'm not going to bring up this issue or sin tendency. But often what holds us back from speaking the truth in love is an unwillingness to enter into potentially uncomfortable conversations and pose a risk to the friendship. We trick ourselves into thinking it's actually most loving to not say something but it's actually a form of loving ourselves, and not wanting to maybe be poorly received by our friend or our friend not responding in maturity. But Solomon here is saying that the reverse is true. A true friend is willing to enter into those spaces in love. A true friend will be candid with you, sharing ways to grow in Christ-likeness. So do you have a friend that you invite to speak the truth to you? If you don't, I encourage you to have a conversation with someone that you consider a good friend and say, I want this for us. I want us to be at a place where we can mutually share openly and candidly and sharpen one another onto Christ-likeness. And if you don't, it may be even going outside of our network of current friendships to find one bold enough to speak the truth to us. And if you do have this in your friendships, honestly reflect on how you respond to the counsel and candor. Because it can be easy to say, yeah, of course I want this. But in the moment of receiving it, it can be hard. For myself, when a friend and even my husband do this, at times I can be defensive and justify my sin or my actions or sometimes accusing them of being insensitive or not fully understanding. And I'm reminded how important it is to have the Holy Spirit's help to have a humble heart posture, to receive the wise counsel and candor in order to be sharpened and spurred on in Christlikeness. So we want to sharpen one another, but we need to do that with wisdom, which leads us to the fourth C of a mark of a friend, carefulness. Throughout Proverbs, we're given this guidance on how important it is to have emotional sensitivity to meet others in what they're experiencing to love them well. Vaughn Roberts addresses this well in his book, True Friendship. There are times when love demands that we should mention a friend's fault, but that must always be done with great humility. 
If we point out the speck in our brother's eyes, we should do so with full awareness of the plank in our own. And we should do so with the sensitivity and love, which gives our intervention the greatest chance of having the desired effect. Like an earring of gold or an ornament of fine gold is a wise man's rebuke to a listening ear, as we see in Proverbs 25, 12. We saw this a couple weeks ago as Sharice taught, words are powerful. They can bring life or death. And because of the tongue's power, Candor needs to be careful, and candid truth-telling needs to be communicated wisely, because even kind words will not be received well when they are delivered at the wrong time. As Proverbs 27:14 warns, if a man loudly blesses his neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. Or in Proverbs 25:20, like one who takes away a garment on a cold day is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. If a friend is in a hard situation or feeling low, we won't jump to cheerfulness, or in our context, jumping to solid theology that lands as insensitive to their experience. A good friend enters into the space the other friend is in. Like we see in Romans 12:15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. As friends, we need the emotional sensitivity to discern the right thing to say at the right time and in the right way. And at times, this may mean not saying anything at all. Solomon reminds us, even a fool, when he keeps silent, is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he's considered prudent. When a friend expresses a hard situation or struggle, wisdom may mean that you don't jump to counsel or candor, but simply be with your friend. Pray with them. Pray for them. Sometimes the best thing we can do is just bring our friend to Jesus. Now, Proverbs doesn't only give us a framework for deep, healthy friendships but also gives us a framework to process when those sweet, healthy friendships break. Even though we image God in our wiring for friendship, and even though in Christ we have the grace to pursue and maintain relationships, as you guys know, we live in a fallen world with selfishness, brokenness, and sin. I think most of us, if not all of us, have experienced hurt in some way within friendships. We know we are not able to fulfill the marks of a good friend perfectly nor will we be able to have or find the perfect friend. Proverbs guides us to know how God has wired humans to relate to one another by calling out the ways friendships can be broken through words, motives, and ultimately sin. I'm going to highlight these areas, but I'm not going to dive into each of them because we have covered a lot of them in the weeks prior, and I had you go through them all in your homework. But I want to highlight how we are reminded the power of words and how they can damage friendship, specifically gossip. Gossip divides friendships because it breaks trust. And this can be in subtle ways that might not feel like gossip, like just between you and me, Jane's going through some issues right now. Or just want you to know, keep that family in your prayers. Soon enough, others will stop sharing the real things they are working through or need support in if they know it won't be kept in true confidence. And Solomon also gives us warnings for us to see how if we have the wrong motives in friendship, it can cause a healthy friendship to crumble. It could be that friends only associate with you for what you can give them, what you can do for them, who you're connected to, or esteem. Solomon drops additional wisdom for us. Not only do motives matter, but our capacity too. While we can be in community with hundreds, we can only experience true friendship with a handful of people, as Facebook Friends clearly illustrates. And we also see this warning in Proverbs 18.24, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. It's nearly impossible to carry out the four C's we talked about earlier with numerous people. The way of wisdom suggests intentionally pursuing a smaller number of high-quality friends is better than someone with many friends. But we also want to guard from the ditch of possibly becoming isolated cliques. Us four and no more. 
Sometimes we close the gate of friendship because of feeling like my capacity is full, or we embrace the whole community but have no depth. Both are wrong. Wisdom says, have deep friendships, and you can only have those with a smaller number of women. And wisdom also says, continue to see who might be a faithful friend, and knowing how his sovereign plan could unfold in mutual building ways. Pursuing friendships is worth it. Even though we know that there's a point in time where where they could be strained or broken, and this shouldn't surprise us as we live in a broken world. And the true enemy of healthy friendships is our sin or the sin of others. Sin breaks down trust and health in every relationship. And the process to restore a friendship takes time, energy, and love, often with ups and downs of its own. And in that place of broken friendship, Proverbs provides key principles to restore a friendship along the path of wisdom. Following the path of wisdom for dealing with broken friendships is contrary to what the world says. The world says you and your needs are at the center of the friendship. And any rift, insensitivity, or hurt justifies abandoning the friendship. The world can't offer any true hopes for friendship to be restored. Might just forget and move on at best. But the ancient wisdom from God in these scriptures offers to us a way forward to reconcile broken or strained friendships. As we addressed earlier, there is a place to speak out with counsel and candor to a friend, whether calling out an area of hurt or sinful patterns, trusting God to work in that to move you both towards restoration and Christ-likeness. And second, not trying to get even in a friendship, as we see in Proverbs 20, 22. Third, continuing to allow grace and love to cover any offenses, as Proverbs 10, 12 shows us. And fourth, if you have sinned against your friend, move towards your friend by acknowledging and confessing the sin, as we see in chapter 8, 28, verse 13. One thing the world is right about, we can't restore friendships on our own strength or willpower. But praise God, that's not where the path ends. The path of wisdom for broken relationships culminates with Jesus, who models and empowers reconciliation with others. We see back in Genesis that Adam and Eve walked with God, walking being the Hebrew metaphor for friendship. Then, in Genesis 3, their sin fractured their friendship with God, triggering the great cosmic reconciliation plan we call redemption. God himself would need to become man, live a perfect life, and take on the punishment for sin, that fractured friendship between God and man, death on a cross. But in raising up from the dead, Jesus made a way for sinful humans to be in relationship, in friendship again with God. All throughout scripture, we see this cosmic story unfold, how God is reconciling his people to himself. And in Jesus, we have the fullest measure of this reconciliation for all times and peoples. Is there a greater break in friendship than humanity's sin against God? And is there a greater reconciliation than God breaking through time and space in order to call us friends once again? This good news isn't just a model for our reconciliations, but gives us the power and heart level to change to pursue restoring friendships with the power of the gospel and the hope of sharing the gospel. Ray Ortland powerfully states, God may have brought some of us into the study of the book of Proverbs just for this. There is so much injury today, so much sin, and so much brokenness. Here's what God wants you to know. The best revenge is love. And Jesus talked about the power of love to reconcile friends in John 15, 12 through 15. In fact, Jesus didn't just talk about it. He told his disciples this is a commandment, that we are to love one another within the people of God with the utmost selfless love, one that would lay down our very lives. And of course, this is only accomplished as part of the gospel. And yet, this is how Jesus calls us friend, out of his love for us, dies for us, and then equips us in his power to love like him in our friendships. 
This could mean overlooking an offense. This could look like having a conversation to call out a friend. It could look like having a series of conversations to restore our friendship. And this can even be within our church. Maybe you're hurt by something someone said or by what they didn't say. Maybe you've just decided to avoid them and just not sit on that side of the church. Romans 12:18 says, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with all. So if this is you today and it's wise to do so, move towards this person to restore a friendship here in our church body. Let's be a people that love deeply with the love of Christ. Because as Christians, we should aim to restore friendships with the power of the gospel. All of these are us following in the footsteps of Jesus in the path of wisdom, working out our horizontal relationships, the vertical reality of friendship with God. Just a brief note here, though. Wisdom applied to reconciliation does not mean that all reconciled friendships are restored to the previous level of connection, intimacy, and trust. Sometimes it's wise to not pursue a friendship where you have been hurt repeatedly time after time again. Sometimes wisdom means that that friendship does need to end. And not every situation is the same, and pursuing counsel to discern the wisest way forward in that scenario is best. As we have seen, we are made for friendship. But if we only focus on those friendships and make that our aim, we will find friendships becoming an idol, and we will be disappointed. Only in friendship with Jesus will all of our longings and desires, yes, all the truths of a wise, faithful friend held out to us in Proverbs, find the full and true fulfillment in Jesus. We see how Jesus models and fulfills a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He is a friend that will never leave us or forsake us. He models and fulfills how a friend loves at all times with unconditional love. As we see in John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus models and fulfills that friendship is not about getting from others, but giving and loving others without selfish motives. Like in John 13, 13 through 16, when he washes the disciples' feet, and in humility counting others above himself, like in Philippians 2. He models and fulfills the wise friend to enter into situations with emotional sensitivity, like at the tomb of Lazarus in John 11. Jesus models and fulfills the careful friend that finds the right approach with words and actions, like in Matthew 12, 20, it says, He always spoke in ways that matched the need, careful to never crush the other. He models and fulfills that a wise friend shares passionate counsel and is candid. He spoke rebuke as and when needed, like when Peter said that Jesus wouldn't die in Jerusalem. Jesus spoke in a way that sharpened his disciples to understand the purpose of his coming, to be made more like God and closer in friendship with him. He models and fulfills restoring friendship like we see beautifully laid out in the gospel. He showed the ultimate sacrifice and in doing so embodies being our perfect friend. Isn't that a beautiful and precious picture of our savior, our truest friend? He alone fulfills the deepest longings and desires for friendship. Jesus is our friend that is always accessible, always there, knows just what to say and how to say it or to say nothing at all. He loves us enough to convict us of sin, places people and experiences in our life that shape us into a more righteous daughter of God, and provides all that we need for life and godliness through his written word. What a friend we have in Jesus! And this friendship increases in closeness now to the rest of eternity. But as you sisters know, it doesn't mean life is now easy, that we have Jesus as our friend, but yet we know he is with us. He loves us. He's for us. He's got us. So if you don't know Jesus as this true friend, if you walk away with anything today, I want you to know Jesus desires this relationship with you. And it's made possible through his death on the cross. He covers all your sin, gives you new life, and a hope of being with him forever. I know myself, Pam, and someone at your table would love to talk to you more about this. 
And for those that have this friendship with Jesus, I urge you to continue to grow and cultivate your friendship with him. Because by doing so, one, your joy will abound in his love, and two, your ability to be a better friend will be increased. If Jesus is the very best friend we can have, are we leaning into and growing in those four C's with him? Consider the following questions of what this might look like. Do you occasionally read your Bible or do you consistently spend time in the word? How could you grow in constancy? How quick are you to turn only to friends or maybe the internet when you are struggling with the decision, anxious or wanting wisdom on something? As we noted, our friends should give good counsel, but above their counsel, we need to seek God's counsel. Do you allow God's word to penetrate your heart and heed the Spirit's counsel and wisdom? Do you pour out your heart to him, being open and candid? He wants to hear and meet you in your struggles and in your longings and your hurt. There is no safer and better place to authentically share the depths of your heart. And as we seek carefulness in our friendships and how and when we should speak, God cares about our holiness and sanctification. And in light of that, we want to care about that too and speak in love and with grace. Sisters, the God of the universe calls us friend, and we get to have this relationship with him. And as we grow in our friendship with him, he doesn't just point out the path of wisdom and say, all right, now go that way. No, he transforms us into someone new who can begin to be a wise, faithful friend to others. But as we close, you might feel as I did when I was preparing, part longing, part discouraged, and part grateful. So I want to address these as we close. First, longing. You know that Jesus fulfills the longings and desires for a close friend, and yet there's still a desire for someone to live out these forces with you. This is a good desire. So first I encourage you, pray. Pray diligently that God would provide a friend like this. And second, keep your eyes open and initiate conversations with others to discover and maybe develop a friendship. Discovering and beginning to grow a friendship doesn't have to take necessarily monumental steps. I had this experience. My husband and I had been attending here for a few years, and we had developed some friends, but it still felt hard to engage with others and develop a good, deep friendship. And so after one of the sermons, we were encouraged to greet those around us as we normally are. And I saw this lady a few chairs down, so I was like, oh, I've never met her before. Maybe I'll say hi. And so I went over, introduced myself, and we started chatting. And then a few weeks went by, and I saw her at a Titus II luncheon. We chatted, and then that was that. Well, she was like, I want to get to know her more. So she saw my name down on one of the lists and signed up specifically for the group I was in so we could get to know each other more. And from being in that Titus II group, our friendship grew, and we started hanging out more outside of Titus II groups, and we realized we want to be this friend that can spur and sharpen each other onto Christlikeness. And so over these last 10 years, we have grown in living out the four C's with each other. And I praise God for how he used one small step of engaging with somebody down the row to being in a Titus II group, how he used that to form an invaluable friendship. But maybe you've had this deep friendship and you feel discouraged. If you feel discouraged and not being the friend you want to be, my encouragement for you is this. Step into the grace that God offers. We don't sit in the shame and the guilt. We bring that to Jesus and ask for his help to walk in the path of wisdom in our friendships. And we can take courage that God is at work in growing us and our friends. And if you feel really hurt and discouraged right now by how friendships have gone, remember, sisters, God sees and he knows. 
And it is good to cry out before the Lord with any of those hurts and bring those longings to him. Ask the Lord to open your eyes to the places he is meeting you in those hurts and those longings and ask what he would have for you to grow in friendships more deeply. Or maybe God has provided a friend that is constant, gives counsel with candor, with carefulness. If so, may realizing that bring you to praise God and thank him. And I encourage you to still prayerfully ask God to open your eyes to those around you that may not have a friend and how God may use you to befriend that person. We can be prone to think, I have my people, therefore I'm good. I don't need to try to befriend anybody else. And it can be easy and even tempting at church just to go to the people that we already are friends with and just connect with them. But as the people of God, we don't want to be exclusive. We want to love and befriend others like God did for us. So I encourage you, when you show up for church on Sunday, Look for someone that you don't know. Greet them. Engage with them. It may be that God would use you to grow into an intentional, mutual, deeper friendship, or even better, use you to model how Jesus befriended us. And praise be to God that he is the one that works in us to empower us and equip us with the ability to faithfully pursue the one and others together within the church. So you see, we need consistent and purposeful friendships for our continued faithfulness to the gospel. The author of Hebrews states this purpose of the one anothering so powerfully. In chapter 3, verses 12 through 13, it says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. God grows us in maturity as believers through friendship with one another. By remaining in constant fellowship with one another, with counsel, candor, and care. Again, we will never be the perfect friend, nor will we be able to have the perfect friend. But we know we are made for friendship, and we can have confidence that God is at work in us and in our friendships. And He will provide for our deepest needs, whether that be through a close friend or through a deeper dependence on Him in times of discouragement and loneliness, for He is our truest friend. Let me pray for us. Oh, Jesus, we thank you for not only saving us from our sins, but calling us friend and desiring this friendship with us. Holy Spirit, continue to help us see where we can deepen our friendship with Jesus and increase our love and may our hearts be satisfied in him and continue to give us wisdom on how to be a faithful, wise friend like Jesus. Continue to help us as we engage with those around our tables to see how you are at work in us, ways you want to continue to challenge us or encourage us, meet us in those places. Continue to work in us to be faithful, wise friends for your glory and our continued joy in you. Amen.